0: Today, we have with us Suburama. Uh, thank you, Subu, so much for joining us today. Happy to. And today, we're going to be uh, learning about two companies. Uh, one is Social Stock, and the other is Bitfusion, and some of the lessons that uh, Subu learned from selling the first and how that applied to the second. So, why don't you kick us off with uh, kind of what the idea was with uh, starting Social Stock and transition into uh, kind of what the acquisition experience was like there?
1: Um, yeah, you know, um, so I'm just going to give you a little bit of quick background and context so that, you know, it applies, right? so uh, I came to this country in uh, 2003 to study. Uh, I, I went to Madison, Wisconsin and did my engineering and moved to Austin to get a job at Intel. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I came from India and uh, I, you know, I worked at engineering at Intel for about seven years and I always wanted to build my own company. My dad was also sort of an entrepreneur in India so i always seen him build a company and uh, my mom never wanted me to actually run build a company. But I always had this itch and uh, I was on a visa here so I couldn't actually start a company until I got my green card. So the minute I got my green card, around the time when iOS and Android everything was very popular, me and a buddy of mine, uh, we were reading a book called Unincorporated Man and this book is, uh, is about what if the whole world is a stock market and how could people buy and Sell equity in people. So it's a very interesting book. Uh, basically, the context is uh, basically the difference between going to Stanford versus the community college is how much stock you sell. So, me and my buddy, we said, hey, why don't we build an app around it? Right? We got influenced by the social network, movie, Facebook, and everything. So, okay, let's. An iPhone and Android was very popular. So, we hacked our way and we built an app. And we put it out to our friends, people, three months, more, not more than 300 users. Uh, so not much of a success. So we kind of pivoted that. Uh, and around that time, he didn't want to pursue the app, you know, for too long. So uh, I kind of took over the, the, the IP from him. And I tried to still hustle and, you know, try to see if I can pivot it. We tried to pivot it to a, a loyalty application, uh, selling loyalty solutions to small businesses in Austin. So we were selling loyalty to uh, Places like Dominican Joe's, you know, uh, Austin's Pizza, so we were basically a digital loyalty solution using social stuff as a backend. Uh, around that time, I got introduced by a friend uh, to a guy in Silicon Valley uh, who introduced me to a VC, uh, and he basically stole, hey, why don't you move from Austin to Silicon Valley? Uh, I'll give you some money. So I just left my job, uh, and then I just moved from uh, Austin to Silicon Valley, and uh, just uh, sold everything that I had here, uh, went with two suitcases, crashed with a friend there, uh, sort of living the dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, I had to pivot uh, the company because I had been I had about 50 businesses in Austin when I go to Silicon Valley I had to start over so I pivoted that company into a marketing automation company uh, selling marketing solutions to companies like uh, like financial institutions and what we were sell- what I was selling and I had I had built a small team around me by that time i convinced like another person to also move with me to Silicon Valley and uh, I was selling marketing solutions where hey if you had hundred thousand dollars in marketing do you sell uh, do you spend it on hundred people or ten people or one person so so again, it was a solution that I had built, social stock, which is basically like a multidimensional social graph, I was trying to find the right problem, right? So uh, did that, you know, went to TechCrunch Disrupt, uh, uh, presented at TechCrunch Disrupt, and to be honest, I bombed the pitch. Oh. Uh, I After the Disrupt, uh, could not raise any more money, any money at all. Uh, uh, so we kind of spending my own money, trying to, you know, work my way through. Uh, so the biggest lesson I learned that overall and in the end uh, i had to pretty much you know get rid of the assets so it was not a great acquisition or anything but you know i had to get rid of the assets uh, we had we had a we had a potential acquirer who wanted to buy us but we walked away from it and it was uh, a whole thing but then uh, the biggest lesson i learned is survival so you know the difference between success and failure in a startup in my view at that time i learned was survival if you're in the game you will always win but you got to be in the game first. So the biggest lesson I applied from Social Stock into my second company. I had, after Social Stock, I had, uh, joined Dell. Uh, I was uh, working, uh, you know, for the CIO there, uh, building innovations there. And the biggest lesson I learned after Dell and I started Bitfusion, Fusion. I had an idea that I had that I had worked on something about ten years ago that came back. Uh, Was hey, we just need to survive. So uh, built it in two thousand and fifteen, ran for over four and a half years, and we survived. And you know, I think everything else matters to that.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. So talk to me about how you came up with the idea for
1: Bitfusion. Uh, So, Bitfusion, uh, the whole, what we we did at Bitfusion was uh, virtualization of GPUs. So we were uh, providing uh, infrastructure management for GPUs and other coprocessors, so very similar to what VMware did for x86, we were doing the same for GPUs and other coprocessors. So the idea came about uh, when I was reading an article in 2014 uh, by the Intel COO called Diane Bryant. I had worked at Intel, as I mentioned to you in the past. I had worked at Intel, uh, I had the opportunity to work on the integrated graphics at Intel, the things that we have in our laptops, uh, which goes to the CPUs. I had worked on the very first version of that, so I'd seen how powerful it is. In fact, Intel sells more graphics cards than anybody. Uh, People don't know that because in every laptop, every CPU, there's a graphics card attached to it, and Intel sells a lot more of those. And uh, in 2014, this article, what she's Diane Brand said is, hey, Intel is going to release a chip with an FPGA in it. An FPGA is a field programmable gate array. Uh, it's basically uh, like, a, like a circuitry that automatically morphs to anything you want at runtime. So you can basically make it do speech recognition if you want. You can make it do video processing if you want. It's basically hardware that morphs. She said it's going to basically, Intel is going to release this in three years, and uh, it's going to be with every CPU. Something that kind of connected back in my uh, past was, hey, uh, when Intel released the integrated GPU, it became a big thing, it became very popular. Uh, and everybody thought, this is going to be the next big thing. So then I said, hey, I need to write software for it. Uh, I didn't know exactly what kind of software, but I said, I need to be able to write software to make people easy to use, m- make this exotic hardware available to normal people, sort of supercomputing for the masses. And I pinged a few friends, I pinged about four people. Uh, two of them said, hey, are you crazy, like wanting to do an idea or a startup? Uh, they didn't even want to basically, you know, partner with me. Like, it's not like I had a great exit, right? So two of them said, oh, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to do a startup. So they were in large companies, uh, and they became my co-founders at Big Fusion. And I had become smart, you know, from my prior time as survival. So I pinged uh, another guy that I had known from the past, and he connected me with a VC in the Valley uh, called Data Collective, and um, you know, met Matt Occo, who was a VC at Data Collective, and he liked the idea, and a few others that I had known in the angel network, they liked the idea. They said, hey, I'll put some money in. And then we said, okay, let's you know, uh, quit our jobs and try to do this full time. So that's kind of how the whole genesis of idea came. Uh, what we ended up three months after we started the company was very different from the original idea. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what was what, what did you find a uh, product market fit doing? What was kind of the competitive advantage um, after that three month period?
1: The competitive advantage that we found was uh, GPUs are there in the market. Everybody were actually using GPUs. or a lot, Not a lot, like enough people were using it, but GPUs were very expensive. And people were not using, the, the utilization of a GPU was very low. So you have, you buy a GPU for 6K, 7K, now it's about 13K uh, to buy a GPU. You buy it, but you only use it about 25% of the time. You waste a lot of those. So the opportunity that we saw was, hey, kind of like what VMware did about A decade ago, they said, hey, you can take a CPU and slice it to smaller pieces and make more people use the same CPU, sort of get more bang for the buck. I thought we could do the same for GPUs. And that's where we saw that. And the value we were providing to customers were, we're going to help you reduce your cost. And we were selling to IT departments uh, who wanted to set up GPU as a service. And they liked what we have because there was no solution which helped them reduce the cost of their GPU infrastructure because GPU infrastructure is already very expensive.
0: Mm, Got it. Was there a lot of competition at the time?
1: In fact, uh, to be honest, uh, the way we were doing it was very unique. So uh, virtualization happens at different levels. Virtualization can happen on a hypervisor, or virtualization can happen, like you know, sometimes uh, you know, in a, c- at a container level. But what we were doing was we were doing everything in a user space, which means you do not have to change your infrastructure, you do not have to change your applications, and you can still you know use BitFusion to slice and dice a GPU or attach a GPU over the network. We, we didn't have any competition uh, for the longest time, uh, and that's initially because the market was not big enough at that time. I mean, this was two thousand fifteen. I'm talking about this was before the AI deep learning craze. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nobody thought GPUs were even a market. In fact, initially, like uh, some of the VCs I had spoken to, uh, they thought that GPUs you cannot build a company with GPUs. You cannot build you know you cannot build a business with GPUs, and every, nobody knew AI was a thing. And two thousand sixteen happened when AI started becoming really popular, and then people people started using GPUs a lot more. And and if you see the the stock of NVIDIA, it'll kind of mirror that. If you look at 2015, 2016 beginning, NVIDIA stock was pretty low. And 2016 is when their stock just skyrocketed. Hmm. And around the same time, everybody started using GPUs, everybody started buying GPUs. But then the same problem. It's too expensive. Uh, and, uh, you know, your utilization is low. So that's kind of you know, how we saw the big you know product market fit. Got time. it.
0: Got it. So you operated the company uh, for about four years, five years?
1: Uh, four enough years.
0: Got it. And uh, at kind of at what point did you start thinking, maybe we should take some chips off the table?
1: So we never had the intention to sell the company, you know, uh, because I think companies are never sold. Companies are always bought, right? Uh, I think companies, people should have always have optionality. So the thing is, you never run out of money, but always have options. That we at every point, every decision point, you can make decisions, right? So for example, uh, we were we were not planning to sell. We were going to do a Series B round, uh, and we had you know we had a term sheet, and you know people were you know, uh, we were going to raise the money. But around that time, you know, uh, VMware was a great partner for us. Dell and VMware, we've been working with them for a very long time, and they said, "Hey, it'd be great if we can take you guys and the product and kind of you know, attach it as part of our solution and give a much deliver a much bigger value to our customer base." And we like that, and that's kind of you know how this whole thought process saying, okay, maybe this is not a bad idea.
0: Mm. Was VMware a customer?
1: VMware is a customer and also a partner. So we mm. were in the market together with a lot of uh, you know joint customers as well.
0: And how did they make the acquisition offer to you?
1: Uh, I mean, it was a very you know. I mean, it was. It's. I mean, again, it's. It's. Uh, it's. So acquisitions never happen just like you know. Hey, nobody calls the Pixel says, Hey, by the way, I want to acquire. It, right, never rarely happens yeah. that way. Right, you kind of work with them for a long time. Uh, the, the 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 sales people love you. The sponsors love you. The marketing people love you. You go. Uh, you publish a lot of things together. You go and sell a lot of things to help. You know, make a lot of money for your you know acquire initially. And uh, they initially were looking at investing in us initially. And then uh, at one point, uh, they said, hey, maybe, you know, would you guys consider us, you know, acquiring you guys, right? It was really, it was kind of a gradual thing. It didn't happen like overnight. Yeah. And then of course, you know, we uh, we were kind of, we, we had to make a decision, right? Because it's not an easy thing for us. Right? It's not like, hey, they say we want to acquire you, and say, okay, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had to have a conversation among us and say, okay, because, choices to make again as i said options right the option is we can either raise another round of big capital and we already had everything lined up and go and do a b and go uh, build as a standalone company uh, or you know uh, go and be part of vmware and then you know uh, go and kind of you know go and take a different direction right the the reason we desired on acquisition was because uh, we saw that the product is going to have much wider deployment and market penetration if it gets integrated with what vmware has vmware already has a lot of customers and a lot of people already use cpu virtualization and they are all buying gpus now we imagine we become the gpu virtualization power for that right and that's where our whole thing was and uh, the, the money is definitely a good thing of course in every I minute mean, uh, at the end of the day as a uh, you have a fiduciary responsibility for the shareholders for shareholders and the investors everybody should make money like good multiple uh, because, uh, but more than that it's Uh, the product that's getting deployed everywhere, right? Much wider adoption of the product. And number two, um, they have a much bigger checkbook than we can ever have, (laughs) So, So we could do a lot of things that we may or may not be able to do uh, staying as a standalone company in a short time. So those were the decision points that we took as to why we, you know, want to get acquired.
0: (laughs) How many co-founders were there?
1: Uh, Three of us.
0: Three. Were were all you guys on board with the acquisition? Uh,
1: You know, Again, it, it was not an easy thing, right? Like, you know, because, you know, uh, we, it's not like, you know, I mean, uh, we don't say, okay, we want to get acquired. Okay, let's go and acquire. You evaluate, right? You look at options. You kind of convince yourself this is the right path, right? Because when, when an acquirer basically puts an offer to you, uh, I mean, the way it happens is they generally talk to you and then they give you a term sheet. And there's a, usually it's a non-binding, but it has usually a 48 hours or, you know, uh, three days, depending on the leverage that you have. And then there's a whole due diligence process that happens. And then they basically, you know, uh, acquire you and give you the money. So the deal can fall through any time. And acquisition is also a distraction, right? Because when you're going through this process, there's a lot of legal work and all these other things you have, which means if things don't go through, you are actually kind of you may be in a worse spot than what you, where you are before, right? So, so those were the questions that we had. Like, what is the probability this is going to happen? Let's say if this doesn't happen, are we okay? Are we okay actually? You know, spending that one or two months, you know, doing this. So, once we started having those conversations, once we are clear of you know what, what those things are, what the trade-offs are, then everybody pretty much you know got on board.
0: How did you divide the work the of uh, due, due due diligence between the three of you?
1: Well, you know, um, so you know, we had we had a fairly big team, right? We had we had also basically you now built a team. We had mm. built an executive team by then, you know. We had investors, right? We had a council, uh, and it's it's there's basically three pieces that are there, right? There's the technical diligence that is there, and then there's uh, the you know sort of the uh, the business uh, you know diligence, all that work, and then the legal. Uh, thing right, basically sort of you know, shepherding the legal uh, work right. So that's kind of how we divided the things among in the company. We said, hey, this is this is what you know, like okay, technical diligence, you know, take care of all these things, and then uh, you know, we kind of you know. Uh, uh, in in some ways, I try to play the quarterback in certain places. You know, uh, another member of the management team, you know, he tried to play the quarterback in certain places, etc. So. Did you guys bring in any advisors,
0: or did you rely on any board members or you know um, consultants during the process? Uh,
1: so absolutely, we have, I mean, we had a lot of advisors. You know, uh, at Bitfusion, uh, and uh, I had also you know one of the things I had also done you know during the history of Bitfusion about a year before you know we got acquired uh, is I had also brought on a CEO from outside. You know, uh, after we raised the Series A and scaled to the next level, so he had a lot of an exp- experience. You know, he was an exec in a prior company has gone through this a few times, so we had enough knowledge among the company mm-hmm. uh to kind of you know take it to that you know uh, go through the whole process right but mm-hmm. I, I mean uh, but it's still a new thing every time yeah. you learn new stuff <laughs> yeah
0: what was the most challenging part of the process
1: a lot of paperwork <laughs> 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 right? so that was literally the most challenging you know in fact uh even the day before we uh uh we we made the announcement uh we were up till 2 a.m you know uh, trying to basically wrap up some of the paperwork yeah. <laughs> between us and the acquirer. So it was, it was a lot of work, right? A lot of, you know, patience. And in fact, one of the things I learned uh, during this whole process is um, uh, I, I learned that uh, you need to have a really good legal team. And we had a great, you know, uh, great sort of lawyers. And uh, one of the things I learned was uh, lawyers don't like to talk. They like to email and, you know, communicate over email. So one of the things that I learned was, okay, you got to, you got to like, and and you work in a very different pace as an engineer than, you know, uh, lawyers. They want to make sure, they they are basically managing the risk. They want to make sure everything's done right, but you want to do things fast. So the biggest learning was how do you balance that Mm. (laughs) and still make sure everything is delivered at the right time. So, uh, in fact, uh, we sort of actually had a stand-up during the acquisition process with our lawyers.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> were there any surprises during the process?
1: No, it was actually well. There's, um, from an acquirer, it was very smooth. You know, we we really enjoyed the process. I mean, VMware is great. You know, uh, they were fantastic. You know, I mean, whatever uh, was initially agreed upon is what was we finally. So I, I, I personally, I thought it was fantastic. Right, I've heard stories of acquisition where you start with something and then you kind of, you know, people try to use that as a way like things, anything that you find as a way to negotiate price down and Mm -hmm. things like that, right? But none of these things happen. So I I was really pleased uh, you know uh, from that perspective. I mean I would say the biggest surprises were the amount of paperwork and the legal things that you had to do, right? Like, I mean, I I didn't know a lot of stuff. I mean, this was my first, you know, real, like, big process. Like, there are things like, you know, whatever you write, you got to back it up. You just can't write things, right? So, all those things were big surprises for me. And, like, making sure every, like, those things like um, there's a contractor that you hired, but then you lost the NDA with that contractor. So, I got to go and chase that guy to basically go and get that NDA. Or a supplier that you worked with, uh, you didn't close it, right? So, you got to go and basically close that thing. So, I mean, the biggest learning was, you know, um, have the legal processes very streamlined from day one. Then, when an acquisition happens, it should be just be a push button. Bam! Everything just works. <laughs> <laughs> if only it were that easy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, how did you arrive at the the purchase price? Was there negotiations back and forth?
1: We did negotiate, you know, a little bit, right? I mean, we yeah, there were, there, were, there was there was were like you know there were some back and forth negotiations and everything, you know. I mean, it was it was a, it was a good multiple, you know, uh, for everybody. So it was you know it was fairly simple for us. <laughs> I said we but we I would say, you know, in certain cases, right, it also depends on you know, uh, we were fortunate and sometimes you get lucky.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, how long did the process take? The whole due diligence process?
1: Uh, ours was actually short, right? One of the one of the things we wanted was we wanted it to be short as well because we didn't want too much distractions. Ours was about a couple of months. But the thing is, right, we've been working with these guys for a long time, right? We've been working with them for a couple of years before that, right? So kind of knew a lot of things. For example, I mean, in, in acquisition diligence, there is, you know, um, uh, the technology diligence, there is basically uh, market diligence, and then is your business, all that business and legal diligence that happens, right? So the market diligence, uh, that was kind of already done because we were kind of in the market jointly already. And the technology diligence also is there because the product has been selling. Right, customers are using it, so there's nothing to diligence on the technology apart from that, right? So it was really mostly business and legal diligence. So it was it was fairly quick, you know. Many of those things were.
0: Did you guys bring in an investment banker?
1: No, no. How come? I think you know uh, it all de- I, in my opinion that depends on the acquisition you know uh, price right if it's a if it's a if it's um you know, like, and I've known to st- stories where even sometimes for a you know like a like a like a half a billion dollar acquisition you don't sometimes bring in innocent banker but I think uh unless an acquisition is over half a billion dollars I just don't think it makes sense to bring an investment banker, right? I mean, there are two reasons you bring an investment banker. One is, hey, uh, it's on half a billion dollar plus acquisition, so any price reduction is going to be significant. So you want the investment banker to be the buffer to make sure all the paperwork, and at the same time, if you're a half a million dollar plus company, you need to make sure that your operations don't suffer. The investment banker kind of acts as a buffer to do all the paperwork and all the things that I was telling you, the scrum and all those things, Right. The second reason you needed is to source it, right? If you want to go and sell a company and say, okay, hey, investment bankers have connections to talk to people. But we just didn't feel like, you know, that, I mean, we already know what we are doing and we already kind of know what documents and everything that we need to do. So it just didn't make any sense. Uh, and why give, you know, why bring in somebody? It only is going to, uh, uh, sometimes it's going to delays when you bring new people.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you guys seek out other offers or was kind of the VMware just, it just felt perfect and...
1: It felt perfect. So yeah. we didn't, you know, we, I mean, we I mean, we could have shopped around, you know, if we wanted to. I mean, we kind of, as I said right, we had optionality, right? So for example, if we didn't want to take this, we always, you know, had the option of going and doing another financing round. And we already had everything lined up for that. So, so I mean, that was kind of our optionality. Do you think that helped give you leverage in the deal? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think in, uh, in every deal, right, uh, not only an acquisition, even when you're selling, Uh, a product uh, or when you're fundraising i think bartner is important right the best alternative for a negotiating agreement so when you have an alternative you're fearless and you can walk away and i think one you communicate to the other person but i think more than that it's kind of a mental framework and i think people act differently uh, when they are able to walk away from something right and you're not you're fearless Mm -hmm. (laughs) one one question i ask
0: all my guests on the show is when is the right time to sell
1: Um, I think, you know, um, there is, it has to be constantly evaluated in my opinion. Okay. So uh, uh, as a founder or as an executive, right, one of the things you have to always uh, question is, um, how big can I get with what I have right now, and does it make sense? For example, I've spoken to my friends, you know, who have sold their company for half a billion dollars after like multiple rounds of financing, and in fact, even the investors have made nothing, next to nothing, right, because the company didn't grow. They had to just pump in more money, and we have had stories of companies where they've been unicorns, but then it plummets. So I think the the question that one has to really answer is, uh, if I don't take this, and I, take the other alternative path, am I, be, am I going to be better off or am I going to be worse off? And then you basically look at the risks and look at, you know, uh, you know uh, the macro conditions. So I think it's it's not a single answer, right? It's the, the, the best time to sell. And I think um, there's never a right time to sell because you never want to sell. Like you never start a company that you want to sell, right? You always start a company saying that, hey, you want to build a billion dollar company. You want to go public. You want to go big, right? If somebody says, hey, I want to start a company to sell, I think that's a wrong way of looking at anything in my view.
0: Yeah, was this a, a stock sale or an asset sale? Uh,
1: it was. It was a stock sale. This it was sale all cash sale. deal. All cash. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Um, do you
1: guys have any problems with minority shareholders at all? No. In fact, everybody was happy. In fact, every every engineer. Uh, we were not a large team. We were we were about we were less than fifteen people mm-hmm. in our company. So everybody was very happy with you know with the, with the outcome right like when and are not like you know putting we have not put in a lot of uh, uh, years in the company you know the there's basically uh, you've not raised a lot of money right and that's another thing that one has to look at right when you sell for example if you uh, every time you raise capital i think the bar goes up for example let's say if you raise let's say uh, a capital of let's say a million dollars maybe you can you know raise it at let's say a valuation of 5 or 6 million dollars maybe you can sell the company at 20 million 25 million right that's okay but let's say you raise, let's say five million or six million dollars, uh, and let's say at a cap, let's say a valuation of twenty million dollars, right, or fifteen million dollars. Now your bar goes higher. Now you have to basically say, okay, I need to sell between fifty and hundred million dollars. And when you raise, let's say twenty, thirty million dollars, your valuation is going to be, you know, uh, fifty or sixty million or seventy million. Now you've got to basically sell at. Three hundred million dollars or five hundred million dollars, because VCs always want, like, or any investor, right? Uh, people want at least, you know, anywhere from three to, you know, ten x return, right? And at and every point, they always want these numbers. So, um, so I think it's that it's that price to valuation and how much money you have taken in the company that really determines, you know, what do you want to basically sell it for and when that needs to happen. In my view,
0: what role did your investors play in the process?
1: I mean, they were all like helpful, like because investors. Yeah. One, I mean, they, they they all have gone through this multiple times, right? From a very different perspective, uh, and uh, they they kind of actually provided the 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 advice from, you know how do you negotiate certain things, right? And and, and actually, the best thing uh, I always uh, tell other people now also is, uh, you always make the investors a bad guy when you negotiate and say, hey, look, you know, my investor is not going to agree to this. <laughs> 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 that's interesting w- but were they
0: were they all supportive or were there some that were actually saying well, don't go for it I,
1: I, well of course you know I mean there the, were the investors I mean nobody wants to basically sell the company everybody wants basically things to go and you know hit a home run right you basically sell a company for a billion dollars two billion dollars or you go public right when somebody invests in a company they don't say hey you s- you settle for you know like a 10x exit you basically yeah, I want to go for like 100x right you go long you go the long run but At the end, everybody was supportive, right? Because then, I mean, we could not even start the process unless everybody's supportive, right? Right. So we were fortunate that, you know, all our investors were very supportive and they were very helpful. At the end of the day, they were supportive of what uh, the company and the management wanted to do because that's what, the company doesn't, you no. Know, I, I, you know, because it, I mean, uh, the way I look at investors are like grandparents, okay? The management team and founders are like the parents. So grandparents, they come to your house every uh, month and they look at things, they give you advice, they, they tell you, hey, here's what you do. And the parents are the ones who basically run the show. So it's up to the parents uh, to take their advice or leave everything or take some advice and leave something and then still run the house you have because grandparents leave. so investors are like grandparents and fortunately our investors understood that
0: that's awesome what (laughs) advice would you give to someone thinking of selling their business
1: have options that's my number one thing right like for example if somebody wants to basically say I want to sell the company because people don't um, you can't sell a company Uh, you won't find buyers who want to buy right? so people buy companies so my advice would be Always have options and figure out a way, uh, you know, uh, how you can basically, know, kind of create options. Even if you don't have options, figure out a way to create those options and then go and, uh, you know, sell it if you really decide to sell it. Because if you don't have options, then uh, you're not going to get the best leverage. That's great advice. Subu,
0: thank you so much for your time today. Sure.
1: Happy to.